God bless you, choir, soloist, instrumentalist, praise band, all these dear people that bring their gifts to us each and every week. Thank you for joining us today. Just a disclaimer as we start, I had some folks stopping when I was in the children's area this morning saying that they had uh, seen some of our church members at the coast asking where Lawndale South Church is. And just, the, just so you know, that's just a little thing I do because so many of our folks are at the coast uh, during the summer visiting here. We call it Lawndale South. So if you're listening from the coast today, or no matter where you are, welcome through our simulcast to our live service right here. We're blessed to be here. Do we have any of those who were at the wedding this past, well, yesterday? Any? Raise your. I hear some. Well, who? Okay, that's great. Great to have them. We had a uh, wonderful celebration of matrimony in here yesterday. Wonderful. And also during the week, a couple of celebration of life services. So uh, the life of a busy church. Let me say this to you. Thank all of you for supporting these people when they had the home going of a loved one and also celebrating matrimony right here. What a blessed week it is. So glad that we're able to do that and feel that kind of support. It's a blessing to have that. Today, as we look at the passage, ever wondered what God is like. Last week, we had the prodigal son and looked at God from that standpoint. Today, we're looking at a little bit of a different thing. Bubba may have something to say about, though. You knew that was coming, didn't you? It seems like from Bubba's book of wisdom, according to Bubba, there are only three types of people in the world, those who can count and those who can't. Thank you. We rehearsed that. You knew it was so bad it was good. Hey, some of them still don't even get it, right? Anyway, but there's also another kind of person in the world, and that person is really just about everyone that's ever lived. Whether your worldview doesn't include God or you have some other form or idea about God, you've thought sometime in your life, is God real? And if he is, what is he like? No matter where you're born, no matter what type of financial issue or state of life you're born into, regardless of pigment of skin, no matter what state, country, whatever, ever wondered what God is like? And I mean really wondered what he is like. Today, we're going to take it in another, a different direction than last week. We saw about the love and forgiveness of God. While that parable last week is often called the parable, parable of the prodigal son, it's really also the parable of the loving father. I think the Rubensteins are here today. At least Seth, anyone else here? Yes. Welcome back. God bless you. Visiting from New York, my home place. We love to see it when we have some of our uh, members that were here that have moved, but... Jewish believers. That's always, and we knew it. Reuben seemed like Jaratelli, either mafia or belonging to uh, uh, coming up in a, in a Jewish home. God bless you. So glad. Seth loves Jesus along with that family. Glad to have you here today. Thank you. All right. Ever wonder what God is like? Today we're going to look at a passage where Jesus has been busy investing in people. It says in Mark 4:35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. 
And as we look in Mark chapter 4, verse 1, we don't have that up there, but I would just let you know. It says that Jesus was teaching and investing. We're up to verse 35 here. If you've ever taught, it's a, it takes a lot of energy to do that, doesn't you? Some of you will find out next week in Vacation Bible School, by the way, which is my favorite week of the year. I love to see these halls populated with children, teachers that love the Lord. Some of our folks take vacation time to invest, and we'll have probably around 800 or so folks here crawling all over this place, hearing about Jesus Christ and the good news and wonderful stories from the Bible. Well, Jesus had been teaching all day. This is the day before they had, there were no sound booths, Scott, back in that day, right? <laughs> probably, probably helped out. They, but I'm sure there was some kind of a sound issue going on back then. And by the way, that mic worked yesterday for the, for the wedding. We didn't know what happened. There was a, uh, we believe there's some kind of frequency demons that go around sometimes, but this seems to be working here in this hour. Jesus taught all day. He is zapped. He's probably out a little bit from the shore in the boat. The crowds are there. By this time, Jesus is drawing tremendous crowds. He's speaking. Tremendous energy is going out, and it's the end of the day. And he's saying, let's go to the other side. The other side of what? Well, because of Jesus' investment in people, probably go to preach and teach there, but also get a break. We have a slide here. This is the Sea of Galilee here. You can see it's kind of tranquil here. And it's actually, as you already know, in this day and time, that would not be called a sea. It is a lake. It's Lake Gisenaret. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias, referred to in different ways in the Bible, mostly known as the Sea of Galilee. And it's, well, it's rather, well, pretty good-sized lake. Anyone here live about 13 miles away? 13, travel about 13 miles? Some of you unsure going like this? It's pretty far, isn't it, right? Anyone walk or run here from 13 miles away and make it to the service? It's a pretty good-sized lake. That's about north to south. It's around seven and a half, eight miles wide. So this is no small little thing like when you're driving out in the country and you can see a beautiful uh, bucolic setting and you see a meadow and you see a little lake out there. This is a pretty good-sized lake. 13 miles is pretty long. I don't. Uh, if you're in the middle of that thing and you can't swim and there's trouble you would have a real issue, wouldn't you? So they're in the middle of this lake here. Jesus has been teaching all day, and they want to go to the other side. If you bring up that next slide in verse 36, the Word of God tells us, leaving the crowd behind, the word used crowd here because lots of people, as Jesus invested in the lives of people, there were lots of people there. We didn't know everything that happened that day, but we know Jesus was an investor, and he left it all on the table, as God expects us to do. He left it all there. He gave everything he had. And it says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. When you read through the Word of God, sometimes you can miss the poignancy of some things that are just quite simple. Quite simple. In fact, this is one of those cases you see. He left this crowd behind. It tells us a lot about what he was doing that day. He did draw crowds. And he took time to rest and energize, which some people by Friday will really understand that verse even better after VBS. But you know what that's all about. You have to re-energize and get some sleep or get involved in something different so you feel re-energized. Some of you do it 
by the ocean. Some of you do it in the backyard, in a hammock. Some of you do it in different places. But just to re-energize, you can open up God's Word or you can pray and just take in. Word of God says, just as he was in the boat. Some of you have been exposed to heat. And when it gets really hot, and this lake being 680 feet below sea level and humid, Jesus, like you and I, can perspire. The water, no doubt, the sun is like a uh, reflecting off this water. Jesus has been teaching, putting in all his energy. He's probably hot and ready just to get cleaned up in some way. But he goes just as he was into the boat. I know something about being in the heat having spent some time in South Florida, and uh, I only thought New York was humid until I went to South Florida, and I found out something. Um, we had, uh, in some of our cars, um, when we moved to South Florida, had different kinds of air conditioning. Some of you may have had growing up, but some of you that are younger may not know this kind. It's called 460. That means four windows open doing 60 miles an hour. That's your air conditioning. That's it. All it does is blow more humid air on you quicker, right? That's all it does. Because when you stop, <laughs> it just comes out again. And, of course, only my parents' part of the house was air-conditioned, so we got to sleep in those wonderful conditions. I often thought if I, and I, I applied for the draft and everything. If I was drafted, they would have probably sent me to some country that was very hot. They said, sir, you're going overseas over there. You're climatized for it. Your dad's trained you well. Well, Jesus has been out there investing and teaching, no doubt tired, drained of energy from that. And here we have a boat. This is a depiction of an actual first century boat. It's actually called the Jesus Boat. I've showed this before. These are some different slides this time. This was found encased in mud, and it's authenticated as a first century boat from that day and time. It's pretty cool, isn't it? You can see there's some people there in this museum looking at this thing. Here's a depiction of it with a sail. This boat would typically have a square sail somewhere in the middle here that would go up just like it's showing. It could be rowed or sailed. They have found alongside of this where they found this encased in the mud in 1986 because there was a drought. It started to get exposed. And lo and behold, as God would have it, there is the first century Jesus boat. That's not just saying that Jesus was in that boat. They have no idea if he was. But it's from that day and time. And from that, we find out a lot about those boats of that day and time. Just under 28 feet long. Pretty good sized thing. About 8 feet wide. About 4 and a half feet tall. Made out of about 7 different types of wood, which is fascinating. The main body here, a lot of this is cypress. I mean cedar, excuse me. Underneath that, you also have some oak that's supporting it. You have other different types of woods in here. It's fascinating. They've studied this thing. The man that came from Texas A&M to really look at this, that worked in engineering and that kind of thing, it's kind of like a, it's a, it's a marvel. But there were boats larger than this also. But this gives an idea. There were really these kinds of boats that were out there at this time that would be out in those waters fishing. Now, 28-foot, 30-foot boat's a pretty good-sized boat, isn't it? Right? Wouldn't want to be hauling that on you behind your chariot, would you? Have to have a lot of horses to haul that thing around. Oh, it's rather large. And so it gives us an idea of some kind of a, a reference to the type of boat that may have been going across the lakes 
on this particular day, and it's so cool that it got preserved in the mud. And by the way, they found a lot of those nails, as I said, along the side of that that already had decayed out from some of the wood that had rotted on the back, and they have nails and all that, able to study and find out a whole lot about boats and things of that day and time. All right, note, this is important. Once again, when you read through the Bible, you may miss this. Not only is Jesus going to the other side of the lake, it tells us something else. There were also other boats with him. No doubt from that day, people were excited about what he was saying, and, and they said, let's follow Jesus to the other side. Let's get in our boat. What are you doing tomorrow? Well, the stock market's not open tomorrow. I'm not going to have to go to, to the big uh, box warehouse tomorrow. Let's follow Jesus. What a great thing to do. So people get in that boat and begin to follow him. But here's the deal. What started out to be exciting, you see, following Jesus can be exciting, can it? And following Jesus can be costly, can it? And following Jesus can be dangerous, can't it? But also, following Jesus may expose me or you to one of the most exciting days that we've ever had. There is a cost to following Jesus, and no doubt when people got in their boats that day and said, why'd you come with us? Jesus is going to the other side. Come on, let's go. And they get in those boats. The Word of God doesn't tell us how many people were there, but because it mentions it, there was no doubt a good group of boats that were heading across that lake to see what else Jesus had to say. And there you have it. The crowds following Jesus. Now, we come up to verse 37. Here's what happens. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. A furious squall happens. How does this happen? This is just the lake. Well, it's more than just a little lake. It's a pretty good-sized body of water. And we have a little depiction here to show you in in. in real time here, you see this body of water where it's hot and humid, 680 feet below sea level. We have cliffs that almost rise right out of the water, and they are about 2,000 feet. And you have in places, and maybe a little higher, a little lower, you have several thousand feet where a cold front, all this cold air is pouring over, lots of crevices down here for this wind when it crosses over those cliffs and those mountains to come funneling down into that hot basin. When it does, the wind and the water are furious. Some of you say, how do things arise that fast? Well, just this past Thursday, it was a pretty calm day. We're going to uh, the uh, cemetery for committal service, and we couldn't even get out of our cars. Wind was blowing. A couple of weeks ago, you saw the hail coming on, and all of a sudden, boom. Well, this is a very exaggerated microclimate from very cold air going into this pace. And we know from this that when it says the waters were, there was a furious squall, this thing is really something. It is no little thing. And so we can see from that, that there is trouble on this day. And these things come up very quickly. This is before the days you could look at your phone and follow the radar all the way through. And someone told us, even on Thursday, before you get there, there's probably a big system coming through. Pretty cool, isn't it? They didn't have that back then, obviously. And so they're just out there. 
It's been a normal day. This system, no doubt, is blowing through. They're out there in the middle of it. What are you going to do? Peter doesn't say, hey, pull the auxiliary engine. Let's get that thing going. Now, think about this. If there's a storm, that means, and no doubt, it's the end of the day. It's dark anyway. Um, Out of all the different ways that I've thought to leave this earth, I've never thought, I think I'm going to put drowning on that list. I'd like to try that. I don't want to try that. How about you? I mean, I've thought of things like Jesus is having a trumpet blow and going up that way. Didn't that sound good? I thought about going to sleep and just waking up and saying, Jesus, I just went to sleep. Wow, thank you. This is great. Feel great. But I've never put drowning on the list, and no doubt we have experts on water, experts of, of fish, of boating, of that lake. They knew it like the back of their hand. And crossing this thing was not a big deal. But it says waves broke over this boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now imagine and put yourself in that boat. It's dark. You don't have your floodlights and everything out there. Water is breaking over the boat. This thing is blowing like they can't even believe. And even if you're a good swimmer, which direction do you even swim in? You can't see anything to navigate. Even you're swimming from northeast, west, or south. And Luke records and says they were in grave danger because they're going to die, and it's not a good way to die. And so we find out as we continue in this passage, thank you. It says, it's pretty interesting. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Some of you may look at that and say, wait a minute, if this thing is rocking and rolling on the water and the the wind's blowing and all this stuff, how is Jesus asleep? Jesus is exhausted. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now listen, I've got a brother-in-law. I've been speaking to him. I'm speaking to Kenan right now. This this close. I'm on a chair, another chair. And in the middle of a sentence, saying, Joe, and you know, like, he could fall asleep. If a nuclear bomb went off, he wouldn't know it happened. Probably a blessing. So there's some people that can sleep through things. Some of you have children that can sleep through things. We've got a whole row of people back there. Every week sleep through things. It's amazing, right? Some people can just sleep through things. And when you're really exhausted, even scientifically, your body just shuts down, right? It just shuts down. And so Jesus, showing how exhausted he is, he's asleep in this thing. And I'm, I'm wondering how long it took. I would love to see if they have some, the CD of this in heaven where you can just say, here it is, the, the episode on the, the Sea of Galilee. I wonder how long it took for them to wake Jesus. But you see, it was not only their boat. All those other boats are there. And if I know men, they're probably not sitting too calmly near the let's let's stay quiet. Get the sail now, get the get the order, get the, everyone's yelling and there's probably panicking going on. I know I'd be freaking out with that, thinking I'm gonna die in the middle of this lake. This thing is going back and forth, the water's coming over. And finally they get to the point, and it says they woke him. It doesn't say how, but if I had to, if, if, if it was an individual doing that, 
Might have been Peter, one or the other. The Bible doesn't say. But they woke him out of that sound sleep. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? When you look at that in very wooden Greek, it's really saying, you don't care if we drown, Jesus. Hmm. Well, we continue on, and we find out that Jesus has been there, and he's been asleep, but now they've awakened him. Scripture continues to teach about what's taking place. Bring up that next, thank you, that next verse. You see, what we find in here is, first of all, a confession. And these, as I said earlier, these people are experts. They're out there on the water. They know the lake. They know the boats. They know the fish. They know this whole area. It's where they're raised. It's what they do. But God has them in a place where they're the expert, and they're being humbled right here. So we have something, a confession, and that is their inability to save themselves. I have been drowning at life before. Have you ever been drowning at life? Finding yourself drowning in life with your best thoughts, your best ideas that got you into the mess that you're in? So we find some confession. It's their inability to save themselves and the need for Jesus' help. Storms can bring those kinds of things about. So what happens? It says in verse 39, as he'd been reclining, sleeping, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Now, if you've ever been in a body of water, when you throw a rock in it, what happens? It doesn't hit the water and make one little ripple. What happens? Out and out and out. But the Bible says it was completely calm. I've seen the process of ripples before. My father, bless his heart, we put up these when we lived in Brooklyn, New York, in the backyard these 15-foot circular, 18-foot circular pools that you put up, and they have vinyl in them. Seth, you ever see those up there? A lot of people up north have those. You put them in your backyard, and usually about three feet high, and they have these wooden stakes you put in, I mean, these metal stakes you put in the ground. They're very sturdy for six children to get into. And But we'd have that, fill it with water. Probably New York was probably back then equivalent of $7,000 of water to fill this thing. And my father also had service stations growing up, and, and he's with the airline, and had service station. We get these tire tubes and put one brother sitting in the tire tube and the rest of us around it, pushing it in the middle of the pool, making the water go up and down. I mean, it's cool because you let go, and then it just, boom, boom, you're riding up and down. Except I can't tell you how many times we blew the sides of those things out. My father would come home, and it was just blown out like it was just a bomb hit in the middle of that thing. And what happened? And then, parents, you know what your children say at that point. I don't know. Well, I just, we just were swimming. In the, it, yeah, anyway, it was completely calm. Think about it. The elements, nature, 
went from these furious waves breaking over the side to where it became calm. Now it's not only happening in Jesus' boat. All the other people that have been following across all of a sudden experience this instantaneous miracle of nature. And I'm sure they're wondering what has happened. We don't know if they're calling over. We don't know what's taking place. What happened? We don't know if they're saying, Jesus told the wind to be quiet. He calmed the sea. You see the actual words that come out of his mouth. He says, be muzzled. That's be quiet. It's be muzzled. When you muzzle something, it's, it's instantaneous. He muzzled it, boom, by his very words. Crazy, isn't it? And so we see, after this happens, and imagine being there. Imagine you're in one of the boats or in the boat with Jesus, and you watch someone call out, and nature itself, this fury, this incredible squall, stops. And he said to his disciples, the word of God report, reports, and it says, Why are you so afraid? Do you still, do you still have no faith? That poses a question for you and for me. Because this question up here should be obvious before he stilled it. But notice, Jesus didn't say, why were you so afraid? Because the storm is quiet now, isn't it? It's calm. He doesn't say, why were you so afraid? It's obvious. He said, why are you so afraid? Why are you still so afraid? And I love that. Because in the presence and the power of God, some crazy thing like that happened, and they were more terrified over the power of God, finally, than over the storm that came up in life. Oh, there's a whole lot there, isn't there? Sometimes we can become more terrified of the storm, but the disciples at this point know they're in the presence of something that's incredible, something beyond their thinking and their reasoning, thinking outside of the box that Jesus could speak into the storm. And now they only thought they were afraid. This word, afraid here, it's phobeo. We get our word phobia from it. It means fearing with a great fear. Now they were in utter terror because they saw something that Jesus could do that no one else could possibly ever do. By his very word, nature listened to him. They had no faith before. But now Jesus is teaching them to listen. And he's bringing them along. And yes, they had failures after that. But I guarantee you, you think you forget something like that? I think many times along the road they thought about that. Wait a minute. We're not going to let the size of this problem be bigger than the size of God. Our God, if he desires, can speak into nature. And it will listen to him. Even the wind and the waves obey him that's crazy isn't it that we have a god that that big that powerful who is this going back to the message today 
ever wondered what God is like. Who is this? They were terrified. Who is this? Dear friend, Jesus is God who took on flesh. He's the one that created nature. He's the one that could command wind and waves to stop because he's the creator of it. And they're learning some things that day that are just incredible. And by the way, I think it's beautiful for me and you to understand something out of the many things in this passage. Because it wasn't the storm that woke Jesus. It was the petition of his disciples. The storms, God's got them. He wants us to come to him in those storms. And God oftentimes, as I said, gets us in that area where we think we have control. We're the expert and the storms come and notice something. God doesn't always bring calm to the storm when the storm starts. Why? Because of fallen human nature. Well, it wasn't that bad. I'm, I'm, I'm still in control. Many times, God let storm continue for a while, just like he does that day, till there was a confession of their inability. And dear friend, you may be in the midst of something right now, and you're unable to fix it. You've tried, you've thrown your best thinking, you've thrown everything you know at it, and there you are in the midst of all of that. I'd like to show you something. It's pretty cool, I think, because when I saw it, I said to myself, how did that golf ball get in there? And then I looked to see how carefully it was cut and then glued back to make you think it was one piece of wood. But it's not cut and glued back. I'm a woodworker. I love working wood. This is one piece of wood. By the way, there's one for you also inside. I'm going to sell I mean, give it to you. How'd that happen? The gentleman that made that told me. Take it and put it in this wood in hot water. And it expands. You can put the ball inside of that. And when it dries, something miraculous happens. Something that wouldn't go inside unless the object was placed some hot water. God does wonderful things in our lives when we get in the place where we feel like we're in that hot water. What's going to happen? And God's expanding us to put something inside of you and something inside of me that we don't even want to learn sometimes, but God will do it. And people will look at you and say, wow, look at that person in the midst of the storm. Look at the miraculous work God did in your life, in your life, in your life. Look what God did. But you don't get it without going through some of the hot water and some of the storms of life. Today, as pastors come forward, you may have something in the midst of your life where you find just an inability to deal with it. You have found you've come to the end of yourself. Friend, that's a great place to be. Because when you are there, that's where you find God. It's where you find Jesus Christ. 
when you really want to grab hold of him, the word of God says, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Some of the people that have said, you know, I really haven't found Jesus. I submit to them, have you sought him with all of your heart? Have you wanted truth so badly that you're willing to crawl over glass and die for truth just for the sake of knowing what is really true in this world? What is God like? That's what he's like. He has power over nature and power over sin. And today, and he has power over storms. The first storm in life that we all have to get by is where we'll spend eternity. And today you can deal with that. As I said from the baptistry today, you must understand and know your inability to save yourself. It's a confession. I'm unable to save myself. I'm not sinless. Heaven is sinless. It's perfect. I can't get into heaven. Now, the inability is to call on Jesus. You don't have to wake him up. He knows right now who you are. Whether you're listening out there or you're sitting here, he knows how you've struggled, how you've looked, you've tried everything else there is. And the fact is, you don't have peace in life. You have a bunch of empty promises you've made to yourself and other people, but you don't have peace inside. Jesus said, I'll give you that when you truly just lay it down and die to yourself. Just give it to me. And when you go to him and say, Christ, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. You took my place. You did something for me I couldn't do. You came out of the tomb two day, three days later. You bled and died and rose from the tomb. You took my death. Friend, death, as I said moments ago in the baptistry, is being separated from God forever. Life is what Jesus gives to live with him forever. He offers it as a gift. But listen, a gift that's rejected is a sad thing. To reject that gift, oh my goodness, don't reject it. Receive him into your life today. Don't wait for some, some crazy thing to happen for God to show you. God can do that. But right now, he's showing you a crazy good thing. The world and people in the world and people like me used to say, show me and I'll believe. God says, believe and I'll show you. Believe and I will show you. Don't wait. Today is your day. If there's something, secondly, that's on your heart, you're already a believer. But you've been feeling the waves and the spray in your face. You feel like you're drowning in the middle of a relationship, in the middle of a job, in the middle of a situation in health or finance, whatever. We would love to pray with you. These pastors are here. We'd love to pray with you. You come forward. And today, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, we'd love for you to do it. If you're looking for a church home, and I pray if you don't have one that you are, why would you wait? Today may be your day to say, I'd love to come forward as a candidate for membership. We'd love to have you come. We pool our resources together to reach boys and girls, men and women, babies through seniors. We're an intergenerational church. We'd love for you to be part of that. We're seeking to connect the gospel to people throughout our city and around the world. We would love for you to be part of our team right here. It's up to you. I'm going to ask you to stand. Terry's here to lead us. Please don't wait. Respond as God has already told you to respond today.